The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Please visit pod617.com to learn about our podcast production services and view our full lineup of shows. Welcome to another edition of The Meter is Running on the Boston Podcast Network. It's great to have you with us. I'm John Mita Perel. Hope you're enjoying your week thus far, and thanks for joining us as always. I'm flying solo today. Shira Springer's on assignment at the ALCS, and you know what? I figured if I'm flying solo, I'm going to do exactly what I want to do, and I want to talk to a guy. We talked to Chris Nowinski a couple weeks ago, and Chris Nowinski mentioned this guy as being a trailblazer and helping head injuries around football and college football in particular, a guy who really wants to make a difference and make sure that this is eradicated. His name is Buddy Tevens, the head football coach at Dartmouth College. He's my guest on The Meter is Running. Buddy, good afternoon. How are you? Meter, hey, appreciate you having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, as I mentioned, we talked to Chris a couple weeks ago. He's a big fan of yours. And he told us more coaches around college football need to be doing what Buddy Tevens is doing. Tell us what you are doing to help concussions. Well, one, it's a tremendous uh, compliment coming from a Harvard guy, uh, which Chris is complimenting a Dartmouth guy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, years of, eight years ago, we just we stopped tackling. And it was all a, a result of uh, CTE, Bennett Amalo, his research, uh, Mike Webster, and that story. And I just thought there's, there's got to be a better way. Uh, I was a quarterback. I never got tackled. I always felt like I was less of a football player because in practice, I never get touched. Everyone else is banging around. And uh, I, I thought that we could teach the, the art of tackling uh, more productively uh, by not tackling each other. Sounds strange, but it's worked out for us. No, it certainly has, and I was doing some research before you came on, and I read about how this was such, uh, it was kind of a, an idea that 2011, 2010, you said, all right, how am I going to get this done? And then you went to the Dartmouth Engineering School at Thayer and posed to them the question, can you guys develop something for me to make this happen? What did they develop, and where has it come from eight years ago up until now? Well, it was actually, it was an idea, it was a takeoff. My son had one of those motorized uh, cars, and it would drive me nuts. He'd chase the cat, he'd chase his sister, he'd run up the, his mom's legs and whatnot. And in the back of my mind, I thought, man, could we ever mobilize one of our tackling dummies? So I came back to Dartmouth. I'm a graduate. One of my classmates is in the Graduate School of Engineering, John Courier. And I asked him, I said, come on down. I want to talk to you about and show you. And he said, yeah, we could build something like that. So I ended up, I funded a graduate school uh, program, and I had one of my former football players uh, as part of the class and the former captain of rugby uh, at Dartmouth as part of that class. And they put together a prototype uh, that that worked. And uh, it got a little bit of attention, and we we went with the Rogers Athletic, a a distributor out of Michigan. Uh, We didn't have the wherewithal to start up a a company or manufacture. Uh, But we started to use it immediately with our football team. And it, initially, it was a little bit of shock and amazement, and you know, what were we doing? But it allowed us to, with great repetition, hit it without injury. And we did a lot of side research as well, and with my, my defensive staff, how people actually tackled. And what our guys were teaching was not what I saw on tape. And I called them on that. I said, look, either we can't teach it or our players can't learn it, because the form tackling, I never see it on, on game tape. And with the, the robot, we can tell a guy, hey, we want a right shoulder tackle um, at the midsection, or we want a left pectoral tackle uh, on the on the upper end of, of the dummy, or a low tackle. 
And just through film research, we identified the variety of tackles and different positions will tackle differently. A defensive lineman tackles different uh, differently than a cover corner. I mean, the essence is the same, get a guy to the ground, but how they do it. Big guy doesn't go low that often. He's big. Uh, he's coming off a block quite frequently. Uh, a cover corner is an open space guy. He generally will go midsection to low. And, and what I found was, uh, statistically, we missed fewer tackles when we tackled around the, the midline, the mid, midsection. Uh, I talked to a biomechanical engineer who said specifically, he said, well, that makes perfect sense. It's the center of mass. That's the break point. Uh, and that's the point that doesn't move. Huh. And uh, we, I talk about tracking the belt line. It's a 360, and if you hit the waist, uh, it's the softest part of the body to tackle. It's the one that moves the least, and it's the target is consistent. You try to tackle up top, uh, I talk, call them uh, fenders, uh, a push of an arm, a straight arm. Uh, down below stride length or, or the width of your stride is a, a different, a, difficult to embrace. But your midsection is constant, and we 80% of our missed tackles are high or low. The yep. midsection tack, so that's what we've kind of morphed towards. And since you've started this, uh, it's called the MVP, the Mobile Tackling Dummy. Since you started it, have you seen a significant decrease in A, concussions, and B, missed tackles? Uh, tremendously. The first year we went to this, our, literally, we dropped or missed our, drop, uh, missed our missed tackles, or dropped our missed tackles by 50%, uh, wow. cutting it in half. And that was a surprise to all of us. And the comeback was we're, ta- we're practicing tackling more than we ever had before. You know, the first game, I was scared to death. I thought, man, if this doesn't work, it's, it's, I'm out. And uh, we were, <laughs> was it the greatest time to come up with an idea like this? I was in the last year of my contract. I had a new president, a new athletic director, and we were two and eight. Uh, so, but it, it worked out. And what we found was the specificity and the, the repetitions increased exponentially. So guys, and you could see, see the transition from what they did in practice to what they did on, on games. Uh, I would say we're probably the best tackling team that we play. And uh, we average right now four to five missed tackles a game. And, and why is that? Our push is not to you know, destroy someone. That's not the goal of the game. It's to get them on the ground. We talk about that. Wrap them up, get them down. And the best area to hit is that midsection. You can replicate it with the MVP daily. Uh, we have a tackling circuit every day that we uh, – pads or non-pads, and our guys will hit that uh, the dummy. Uh, it's never been hurt. It's never gone to the training room, nor have my players. But there's a confidence, and you can hit the thing full speed. Well, we've done a lot of stationary drills over to the course of time and have experimented with a lot of different things. The one thing we couldn't replicate was a mobile, t- a mobile target, and that was the genesis of the idea – uh, Thayer School of Engineering here at Dartmouth did a wonderful job helping us promote it. And then my guys have been working on it nonstop. Uh, NFL teams have picked up on it. We've got uh, 18 NFL teams that have it. There's probably 70 colleges around the country and probably about 100 high schools. Uh, there's a youth model that just came out. And the whole thing, my concern is if we don't change the way we coach the game, we, we won't have a game to coach. Uh, the attrition rate at the lower level, people opting for other sports, and I've talked with Chris and Bob Cantu uh, down in Boston about teaching people in a safer fashion to do the things the game necessitates. And in doing so, uh, one of the reductions has been concussive head, head injuries with our squad. Yeah. Uh, we don't have them in practice. Occasionally get them in games, but they're from hits from others, not hits in, uh, directed by, for, by ourselves. Uh, and then just the orthopedic injury uh, has dropped tremendously. Uh, why? We just we don't hit each other. The culture of our sport here at Dartmouth has changed. 
And the biggest adjustment I have to make is when I have a high school guy come in, free safety, uh, the first day of padded practice, is a, a dig route thrown to a wide receiver, and the kid blows him up, and everybody in the team starts yelling at him. Uh, we don't put guys in, in, in awkward situations. We, we try to protect each other. And then on game day, the only times my guys tackle are 10 times a year uh, you know, in season. Uh, we never tackle in preseason. We don't tackle in spring practice. And across the board, uh, concussion season for college pro programs is spring and preseason. Uh, the Ivy League in general does not. And it was a suggestion I made years ago. We don't tackle in season, but everyone else has spring practice and they tackle and everyone else has preseason and they tackle. And I, I tried to push that. Uh, but that was maybe too aggressive for some guys. I'm sold on it. I think you can do it at the Pop Warner level, the junior high school level, the high school level, the college level, and certainly you see the pros. They never tackle anybody in practice. And 32 teams, 16-week uh, season, I think there were six concussions in practice last year. Game day is a little bit different. But can you? we practice more than we play. Let's make the practices safe. Yeah, buddy, what is the, what's the reaction from – I don't know, a guy like Nick Saban, a guy you probably are familiar with coaching in the SEC with Florida, a, a quote, big-time college football coach. Do they tend to be a little bit more Bear Bryant-like and say, I don't need this, my guys need to tackle all the time? Do you get that? Is that is that gruff college football coach still exist, or are they, are they coming around to this thing actually works? Well, I think slowly but surely people are kind of embracing the, the thought process behind it out of necessity. You know, injuries that, that they have, uh, people nowadays as, as players uh, self-reporting, you know, years ago, hey, suck it up, go play. Uh, and it was almost comical. A guy's kind of bobbling around in the field and say, oh, hey, you see, it gets bell rung. Uh, well, now it's more significant and a, little, and a lot more serious. Uh, we are a conservative profession by nature. I think people are very, very hesitant to change, and that's a radical change. What do you mean we're not scrimmaging on Tuesday? Uh, yep. But if you experiment with it, you're going to find you can get away with it. And I, I say this to all of my, my recruits. You know, most of these guys are playing football when they're five, six, seven years old. That's a pretty good run, 10, 12 years before you're entering college. You're not going to forget how to tackle. You're not going to forget how to use your pads and, and run effectively. It's, uh, so it's a progression. And I'll, I'll always point to the NFL, which I think is very maligned for uh, contact and so forth. They don't, they don't hit in practice. It's a union player's rule. They can't. But the product they put out on Sunday is pretty impressive. And can colleges do that? That's we've been doing that for eight years, and we've had our greatest success uh, in recent years, and we've had greater safety with my players, fewer concussions, fewer orthopedics, and for me, long term, you know, you can't prove that CTE is a direct result of contact, but intuitively, you know that it's not a good thing to bang your head repeatedly against something, and can we reduce the the subconcussive hits? Yep. And that's really kind of what, what we're working on. And I think the, the work that Chris Nowinski and Bob Cantu and Mike McRae and Kevin Guskowitz and people are doing nationwide, coaches have to look at that and say, I, I spoke with the National F Football Coaches or the American Football Coaches Association uh, get together. And I said, we as coaches can change and fix this right now by eliminating the, the unnecessary contact, by taking out uh, the bull in the ring drill or the Oklahoma drill uh, and, and realizing that it's impacting someone's son, someone's child. Uh, but to your point, people are reluctant. Uh, I don't think individually a coach will come out and just say, hey, I'm not gonna do this anymore. Uh, but I think it's incumbent upon conferences 
and I've uh, spoken in the NCAA about this, if the uh, you name the, the Power Five said, we collectively will not tackle in season, no one would miss it. Right. And Absolutely they, not. They bled that into, okay, spring practice we're going to really uh, uh, minimize. It's going to be legislated in, and I think our coaching profession should be proactive and say, look, we don't have to do all the things that we used to do. Uh, and people say that you're changing the game. You have to. Because it's not going back. Data and uh, the medical evidence is, is not good for our sport. So listen to it and try to you know, improve what we're doing because it is special. And people say, well, you don't love football. Yeah, I do. And I want it to continue. Sure. And it's maddening from that perspective that people aren't paying enough attention. Some people, unlike yourself, aren't paying enough attention to the data, to the materials, to the stories that Chris Nowinski can tell you every second of every day. Brains are being donated every day, which is great. That's great for research. But from a standpoint of a coaching uh, situation for you going into a recruit's home, do you get a lot of talk from parents saying, wait a minute, you're not you're not tackling every day. What's that going to mean for my son? Yeah, there are a lot of them are question it. They're intrigued by it. And certainly the, the, the people that we're speaking with, uh, high achievers, have lofty ambitions for their, their sons, doctor, lawyer, investment banker, venture capital person. And and I just tell them, you are gonna you will have fewer sub-concussive hits at our place than probably any other Division One school in the country. Um, and football, I want guys that want to play professional football. We had five guys sign contracts last year. Uh, they haven't all made it, but they've all graduated from Dartmouth, and they've had – thousands fewer sub-concussive blows than people that went to a place where they tackled and did the preseason, the spring practice, and in-season uh, uh, practices the way I used to do them. You know, this is not something I've done forever. I was one of those hardcore, bang them around, beat them up, we're going to be tougher than those guys. And I found that there's, a, there's an efficient and effective and safer way to do it without compromising the premise and the tenets of the game. Hey everybody, what's up? This is Deborah DeFrancesco, and you gotta check out my new podcast, The Bitchless Bride Podcast. Woohoo! You don't have to turn into an hysterical hot mess on the most important day of your life. And on my show, you'll hear lots of great tips to make your weddings thoughtful, respectful, and awesome. I couldn't agree more. Oh yeah, that's Nathan. He's here too. He's like one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Damn right. Between the two of us, we have decades in planning weddings and doling out advice you need to make your special day more memorable than deplorable. Don't worry, Bridey. Bitchless Bride will come to your rescue. We are your wedding superheroes, your go-to sounding board, and sometimes your personal therapist. Right? And why not get advice from straightforward, foul-mouthed professionals like us? Foul-mouthed? You, Deb? <laughs> Have you ever known me not to swear? Listen, I tell it how it is. Find the Bitchless Bride podcast on pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. New episodes posted every week. Subscribe to us on iTunes and let the party begin. Let's get bitchless. The Bitchless Bride podcast and pod we trust, bitches. Buddy Tevens, the head football coach at Dartmouth College, is my guest on The Meter is Running on the Boston Podcast Network. Buddy, your team this year is 5-0, and ranked 24th in the FCS. You're off to a terrific start. You've built a, another empire at Dartmouth. You've had an unbelievable career coaching, and I find it fascinating. You, When you, you were originally at Dartmouth, then you left. You went to Tulane. Uh, I, I'm, I'm betting there was probably a part of you, a large part of you, obviously, that said, all right, what's the next frontier? But then fast forward to 10, 15 years, you're back at Dartmouth. Take us through your career and what brought you back to Dartmouth. Well, I was a New England guy, grew up in Massachusetts, Pembroke, Mass., uh, came to Dartmouth, uh, didn't know I wanted to play. That was the deal. Didn't work out. 
someone offered me a job at DePaul University out in Indiana, Jerry Burnt, went there for a year, fell in love with coaching. Uh, Rick Taylor at Boston University hired me at, uh, as a, a running backs coach, uh, loved it, became a head coach at the University of Maine, had some success, uh, went to Dartmouth uh, as a head coach, had some success. Went down to Tulane, uh, ended up getting fired. Uh, didn't have as much success as I had hoped we had, we might. Went to the University of Illinois with Ron Turner. Uh, went to Florida with Steve Spurrier. Became the head coach at Stanford, uh, and was fired at Stanford. Uh, thought, okay, what next? And Dartmouth coincidentally had opened. Uh, they gave me a call, and I reflected with my wife on the best collective group of people I'd ever been around and it was Dartmouth uh, kids. Came back, I was hired. There was a lot of work to be done. Um, and fortunately, I've had support from a lot of different quarters and uh, it's worked out well for us. Uh, very proud of the fact we've got the highest graduation rate in the country for Division, division One football, uh, highest APR rating in the Division One football. Uh, we're winning a lot of football games. My guys are employed, my guys are safer. Uh, they seem to feel pretty good about the experience here at Dartmouth. Uh, it's been an amazing experience. What did you learn at each stop? Uh, was it just a, even though even though you were eventually fired from a couple, what did you learn? Yeah, you know, the hiring, the firing, it's, uh, I, I never blame anybody. The deal is, hey, you got to win. But uh, to your point, I've learned things from everybody I've worked with, you know, pluses and minuses. Uh, you know, at the University of Florida, Steve Spurrier was uh, a wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, and just some of the things that he and his wife had done on the football field specifically, very, very creative, but always said, hey, get your guys to game day. And that was kind of a little bit of a mantra. I had come from a place that we really kind of banged our guys around a bunch, uh, joined them just prior to a bowl game and was doing the stuff I'd done at the previous school. And he called me in. He says, uh, uh, he said, look, these guys know how to hit. He said, just get, make sure they're ready to play on Saturdays. Uh, when I was at Stanford, Bill Walsh uh, became ill at the time, but he was a, a great mentor, and I'd get on it have breakfast or lunch with him, and he always would say, hey, take care of your players. Yep. And he was kind of cutting edge at that time uh, to practice just uppers or uh, without pads and so forth. So I, I was be the beneficiary of a lot of indirect impact. Uh, and then coming back to a place like Dartmouth, being at the Floridas and the Illinois and the Tulane's and Stanford's, seeing how it's really done and uh, I said to the administration here, I want to run a major college operation at a place that won't compromise academically. And it's it's worked out. Uh, we take football extremely seriously at football time. And I tell all my players, that's not all the time. Don't see yourself as a football player at an Ivy League school. You're a football player at football time. You're an intellect at academic time. And I tell them, hey, you're a good guy all the time. And, and that's kind of the approach that we've take, taken from a recruiting standpoint. And that's a collection of things. Uh, Jerry Burnt, uh, my old mentor, uh, Rick Taylor, uh, the old BU coach, uh, as well as the guys I've mentioned. Sure. Uh, they've, they've helped you know, establish a mindset, and which has helped us establish a culture here that seems to be working. And as I listen to you, it's just it's stunning to me as you know, someone I'm obviously around a lot of big-time college football with Boston College, and, but it's stunning to me that – more people do not have this type of mantra, especially in this 2018, this day and age. We need more Buddy Tevens and less, uh, as you as you put it, bang around practices. Does that shock you? No, it, just the nature of the you – know, we all grew up, and I say this, you know, guys 25 years or older – by and large, didn't have anything to draw from when they played. We never talked about concussions. It was, again, kind of the, the comical thing. Oh, God, he can't remember his, his locker combination. Or, hey, get him over here. He's going to the wrong sideline. But it, we never knew this, uh, the seriousness of it. 
and now with the medical uh, inroads and the research, and that's exploded exponentially. People are now taking a look at what, what causes, how can you mitigate uh, the technology, the helmet changes, the rule changes. But most guys that are coaching, that was not their background. Uh, we generally don't go to school to coach. I was a history major. I didn't learn much about you know, how to execute a tackle. You learn from people that instructed you, that you admired. Uh, you'd go out to different schools around the country and follow how did somebody teach something and then incorporate that uh, into your program. And it, there was no association with the concussive head injury or the impact it might have in later life. Now that's all changed. But most of the guys that are coaching right now that's the, they don't they can't draw from it. I'm, I'm fortunate because of what I do. A lot of folks share information and, and data and statistics, and it's I, I wish everybody could see it. Yeah, I mean it's it's and the CDC mentioned it's a national epidemic, uh, and it's not restricted to football. Uh, you see it in basketball, men's and women's hockey, lacrosse, soccer, uh, women's sports in particular are heavy hit. Football is a target uh, uh, because of the volume uh, of people that are, are injured and the number of people that play. And I, I think coaches in, in all sports can take ownership and look at how their injuries occur uh, and then adjust their practice around those things. You know, tackling, we had a lot of injuries, so I stopped tackling. Uh, blocking. We don't have to block with our head the whole time. Uh, reflect on why do you do the things that you do? Because you were told to do it or does it make sense to you? And a lot of what we do um, in the process right now with offensive and uh, defensive linemen, you know, just the re repetitive uh, contact, uh, how can you mitigate and, and reduce that? And doing things with bags and pads in a, a schematic approach. Uh, the initial response to most people is kind of comical. <laughs> you're an idiot. You're going to get fired. Uh, and then when you start to see that it kind of works, and I, and I go through that with my own staff. You know, they kind of look at me kind of sideways. And you, why? What are you thinking? And when I try to explain it and break it down, it starts to make a little bit of sense. You get it out on the field. And we throw in drills out that, man, there's no way that's going to work. And then things that we'll come up with, it's a collective effort. And, wow. It is. And then I ask my players. Uh, we put one uh, something in last spring, and my offensive lineman, I asked, you know, did you guys get headaches after practice? And they just kind of looking at no. Hmm. And I said, in high school? Oh, yeah, man, my used to come off, I had a headache every night. Oh, wow. And, and if you think about that, it's, it's, it's repetitive. It's not something you're aware of unless you start to think along those lines. And then how can you prevent some of those things? Uh, and with us, we've had good success. We've had great health. And some of it's good fortune, but I think if you protect and limit the amount of contact that you have uh, during the course of the year, it extends the time that you can have contact. So we're playing some of our best football down the, the end, end stretch when we're playing people that they're losing guys as a nutrition rate, and you know, sometimes guys wonder why. And you guys have had a tremendous success not only this year but in the past. Dartmouth, a proud tradition uh, in college football, one of the one of the top programs in the Ivy League year in and year out, and you're a huge part of that, obviously. But what's Buddy Tevens looking for in the perfect Dartmouth player? Well, uh, I want a, a good team person, someone with a personality that's uh, engaging, uh, uh, self, unselfish, a guy that's going to think about the team first and then his role within the team. How can he make us better? Someone that's going to represent us well within the community. Uh, uh, a guy that is passionate about football. He wants to be a great player. And I talk to my guys all the time about goals. And I ask my every recruit I have, do you want to play in the NFL? And some guys you know, just jump out of the chair. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Other guys, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, I want the guy that says yes. Uh, I tell them all, it's a dream. And you, most people are not going to realize it. 
but does that mean you shouldn't have a dream? Now have an academic dream as well. I want a guy that, and sometimes we've got to coach him in a little bit, that football stops at some point in your life. We never know when. It could be you separate or tear an ACL or something, and maybe during your undergraduate career. You may play in the professional ranks. How long? Two, three, four years, maybe. What are you going to do the rest of your life? And at a place like ours, uh, Dartmouth does a wonderful job uh, gearing people in for success after their athletic career uh, concludes to sort of make sure people are locked in from an academic standpoint. But I I want a passionate, energetic, enthusiastic, aggressive, relentless individual. Um, I talk to my guys all the time about being a star. And star, it's a takeoff of Polaris, the North Star. It's kind of the guiding light, the right way, the way home. You you name the civilization, everyone in the world knows uh, Polaris. Well, for us, the acronym means to be smart, trained, aggressive, and relentless in your academic, your athletic, and your social pursuits. And we kind of get into a little detail with that uh, with each uh, uh, area. But the essence is, hey, you know what a star is? You be that guy. Yeah, and how, how, how do you turn that down? I, I, don't, I don't understand. If, you're, if I'm a recruit listening to that, I'm thinking, all right, I'm signing on the dotted line immediately. Yeah. Well, some of some of the guys are you know, they they're doubting Thomas's. I had one of my linebackers, and I told him we never tackled, and he he ended up came uh, came to Dartmouth. He was a two-time All Ivy player, and I I do exit interviews when the guys are about to graduate and their experience at Dartmouth, their experience in the football program. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, uh, "Would you think about this, Will? When I uh, I asked you or told you you'd never tackle?" He says, "Coach." I was calling BS on it, to be honest with you. He said, you're sitting in my living room. I think, yeah, right. I'm a Division One linebacker, and I'm never going to tackle anybody. He <laughs> said, but I, I felt I felt fresher and uh, more, better prepared than I ever did in high school, where we scrimmaged every day. And uh, I think people are becoming more and more interested and attracted to it. I've got all kinds of coaches, and I invite anybody. People want to come up and watch. It's not magical. It's just we, we've made a decision. We're going to limit contact to the benefit of our players and we're finding a way to magnify what we do uh, and polish off what we do without hitting each other with regularity and uh, uh, the proof is in the pudding we've had good success and i've had healthy players and at the end of the day that's what you want uh, for for your son or for your, for your child in any sport they compete in and it's clearly working with the five and oh start this year has that surprised you buddy that you guys are undefeated you're averaging 30 38 points a game your defense has given up less than 300 yards per game is this uh, a renaissance period for Dartmouth football? You know, uh, I, I wouldn't have predicted where we were. I thought we could be pretty good. Uh, there were some questions. The quarterback spot was a big uh, concern for us. Uh, we had some defensive linemen that we had to replace that hadn't played, but they've all risen up. And one of the things, and it gets back to your question, well, what type of person do you like to recruit? A guy that's a team guy. Uh, great unselfishness. So we're playing. I play two quarterbacks. We play four running backs regularly, uh, six wide receivers. Uh, offensive line, we'll rotate f- uh, six, seven guys through. On the defensive line, there's nine defensive linemen that play, uh, five linebackers, and a variety of secondary players. Uh, if you're a good player, we want you to help us. And it's, there's great competition, but when you get good people, it's healthy and it's friendly competition. They all want to play. But it's not the the poor me's, well, I'm not getting the carries I need. It's, hey, we're having success, I'm contributing. And even the guys that aren't, you know, making trips or playing on game day, there's a role that they play. And I think too often in life, people just, they they see the A guy and that's, everybody wants to be the A guy. Well, a lot of us start out as the C, D, or F guy. And be great at the role you're assigned, and then maybe your role changes. 
if it doesn't change, take pride in the fact you're helping the, the, the effort of the team, uh, the greater good by the, the, the effort that you put in from a day-to-day -day standpoint. You know, the, our look squad and our scout team, they come out and they, they, they ball out. They are playing as hard as they can, uh, and they know that they're helping us to achieve the record that we've achieved to date. No, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch. This is an observer and a guy who grew up watching Dartmouth football when my dad had grad from there and working on the Dartmouth scene. But one of the things that really intrigued me was I'm on YouTube the other day and I was I was alerted that uh, Buddy Tevens was on Stephen Colbert. Why don't you want them to tackle each other? Doesn't it toughen you up? Don't you have to want it? Don't you have to dig down? Don't you need to hunker down? Don't you need to give 110%? Don't you need to leave it all out on the field, coach? Man, Am I being too technical for you right you're, now? You're firing it up, I'll tell you. Yeah. I may have you do my pregame speech. I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. But, uh, no. Why not tackle each other? That's what football is. Football, you tackle. Concussive head injuries. Okay. Huge concern. And uh, we can eliminate a good percentage of them. Uh, I've, we've dropped 80% injury reduction just going to a non-tackling situation. Because those were happening in practice? Happening in practice. Wow. Wow. Most, most concussions occur in practice more so than in games. You've built a robot that can play football. Would it be okay if I attempted to tackle it? I'd love to see you All do right. it. Let's give, let's give it a shot right here. That must have been an amazing experience. What was it like? Well, it was a little bit overwhelming. It was the least prepared I felt I've ever felt for an interview. Uh, there was no uh, preface to, hey, here's the questions. Here what happens. Here's what happens. We're in the green room, which wasn't green, by the way. Uh, and then they <laughs> said, okay, you're on. And the last thing the woman that let us out said was, he's much better with uh, people that are interactive. I'm like, no, what does that mean? And he, <laughs> he's such a brilliant guy, but his mind is all over the place. Uh, tangential thinker and just to try to keep up with him he talks fast and I was scared to die I just wanted to hang on but it was it was a thrill to be there in the old Ed Sullivan theater and to watch him strap up he put a Dartmouth football helmet on and shoulder pads and uh, we had to coach him up a little prior to in terms of uh, hitting it but it was it was fun it was it was wonderful for the institution uh, that Dartmouth is, is doing something that maybe other people may uh, emulate and uh, to the benefit of uh, their players and, and people around the country. And Colbert is a Dartmouth grad, right? He uh, alleges pseudo. Uh, uh, pseudo. What pseudo a, yes. Okay. I, he, he has kind of a side story along those lines, and uh, but he was a wonderful, wonderful guy. Just it was fun to talk with him the brief uh, period of time, but um, and and just to watch him operate his show was really impressive in terms of managerial style. He knew everything, light, script, uh, uh, support, uh, locations, video. And then he turns his persona on. Uh, it, it really was an education just watching him manage his operation. Uh, and then to, to meet him was certainly a, a, a wonderful point. Well, you know what, buddy? Uh, clearly football's working out, but there's always late night for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I could be one of those stage stagehands, maybe. Hey, you know, you, you you're doing great work, not only on the field but off the field. We can't thank you enough for your time, and I, I bet it's going to be a terrific stretch. You have Columbia coming up as we sit here in mid October, and then of course the traditional game against Harvard, and I know that's a big one for you facing your good friend Tim Murphy. Yeah, no, we've got uh, five to go, uh, and as I tell Mo, we have one to go. We're looking at, at Columbia on Friday. They've owned us the last couple of years. We've lost twice and came real close in our championship year. Uh, so we've got to go out and, and play good football. Our focus seems to be very, very good. 
Uh, again, the unselfishness and there's not an arrogance or anything else. They just they they like to play. They like to play together. And certainly there's a challenging schedule ahead. But uh, thus far, practice has gone well. We'll look forward to Saturday. And buddy, best of luck and good luck as well with the MVP. And again, you're doing God's work with a lot of a lot of people, including Chris Nowinski. We're going to see him next week. We'll tell him you say hello. But please do, and proud to have an Upper Valley guy doing the stuff that you're doing. So keep it rolling. Thanks for having me. Buddy, thanks so much. Uh, thanks, Meter. Buddy Tevens, the head football coach at Dartmouth College on the Meter is running. Do you dare enter Monsterland? You may not know that some 50 miles west of Boston, sits what may be one of the most diverse and comprehensive paranormal locations in the world. If you listen to the Monsterland podcast, the secrets will be revealed to you. I'm Maddie Blake, actor, TV host, and believer, and I'm fortunate to be co-hosting the show with the author of the book known as Monsterland, Ronnie LeBlanc. Thanks, Maddie. Well, you said it. We're practically next door to the Lemster State Forest, a place that's had a decades-long list of strange phenomena, including UFOs, paranormal activity, Bigfoot, strange sightings, occult, and military activity. Absolutely. And Ronnie, on the Monsterland podcast, we'll be joined by a murderer's row of experts from all over the world to finally figure out if these claims belong in the myth or Monsterland files. So make sure you listen, binge, and believe as each chapter of our mysterious journey unfolds. You can find the Monsterland podcast on pod617.com, the mighty pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Join the passionate fans who we're already hearing from. See you soon in Monsterland.